the Augustin Hozinga Show with your host Augustin Hozinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Hola a todos. Mi nombre es Agostino Zinga. Um, es el Agostino Zinga Show, episodio 677. Bien? Maybe. Who knows? But welcome back to the Agostino Zinga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zinga, and this is episode number 677. For those of you who are not bilingual, for those of you who don't have the Espanol on lock, big up my guys over there at Duolingo, friends of the show, soon will be friends of the show, soon we'll have a little logo somewhere around this flipping screen with the flipping sponsorship piece coming in, a nice green screen, so I'm not wearing a green screen on my flipping body, that is the lick. But for now, <laughs> hola. <laughs> <¿Cómo estás? laughs> hope you are well wherever you may be hope you are splendid how am i all good all things considered i cannot lie all good all things considered i'm currently sipping on the remaining remnants of my black nectar with a dash of milk i love to put a little dash of milk in it not too crazy in my flipping coffee and i'm ready to go i'm wired i'm jazzed i'm ready to pump and i can't wait to go on my run today i'm gonna do a little 5k later today i can't wait to go on it then i'm gonna come back and record another pod then i'm gonna come back and record another random show so i'm doing free today i already done a patron so i'm absolutely smashing it i'm getting it in day off midweek so i'm absolutely mm, Pounding in um, smack style and doing what needs to be done. But big up everybody chilling. Big up everybody hanging in there. Wherever you may be, I appreciate every single one of you for tuning into the show as per usual. Whether you're watching it on the live stream, whether you're tuning in after the fact and listening to the recording, I appreciate you same way. Now, I've been thinking, right, lately in general, just with, you know, the issues going on with the jam around. Now, lately, there's this... Um, uh, there's a post going around on social media that takes some clips of Jamaran's Instagram stories where it looks like it's a cry for help because he's posting all these clips reminiscing on old times and then at the end of it he posted a bye message now he could just be being a drama queen because he's you know he's 22 23 24 these kids nowadays they love attention as we see recently with the thing I recently featured on the random show about that kid called mizzy he's a uk prankster that was walking into people's houses and stuff just for the fun of it these kids nowadays love any attention so i'm sure for the most part more than likely jamaran isn't in any kind of danger he's just posting what he posted making it seem like he wants to self-expire because he's feeling you know sad about his situation he's feeling mopey he wants people to feel sorry for him blah 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 it is what it is but also got me thinking in general about my stance where I said he should be allowed to crash out 
he should be allowed to do exactly what he wants to do with his career. If he decides that he finds it more important, he finds it more worthwhile to get on camera and start stunting with the guns and stuff, even though it's not something that's technically not allowed in the league, but I guess the NBA doesn't like to have their players doing that sort of thing based on what it may send, message, whatever it may be. So they've kind of made it clear that they don't like that. He keeps continuing to do so. His friends can't be blamed also because in the recent video clip, that friend actually tried to help him. That friend tried to change or move the camera, but it seems like whenever Jamaran gets in front of a flipping camera, whenever he's in, on IG Live, he can't help but pick out his tool. Now, he's very talented, clearly. He's got a long future ahead of him if he decides to be behave, if he decides to play ball, quote unquote, and behave. That's fair enough. But if he decides to crash out as a grown man, as a grown adult human being, he should be allowed to. I know it's upsetting for us regular civilians, myself included, that somebody like him who's on a hundred million plus contract, Nike endorsements, all these energy drink endorsements, so much potential, uh, you know, up and coming that he'll be throwing it all away. I know it kind of does leave it, you know, it kind of does sting us a little bit when we see that sort of thing happening. But I feel like people should be allowed to crash out because ultimately, I feel like crashing out, even though you have God-given talent, and you have this once and left opportunity to make crazy amounts of money and to go down as a legend in your sport is the same thing about it's the same sort of thing as not caring. It's on the same sort of like wavelength. I've just not given a fuck. And the reason why I mentioned this about not giving the fuck is my guy Wings of Redemption. Rings of Redemption has finally decided to give up trying to make a change in his life fully i can already taste it i can already feel it i can already see it because i pay attention to these locales and i love watching rings of redemption you know like a reality tv show program he's entertaining to me and since the post fight his boxing fight with boogie he had a lot of goodwill around him everyone was kind of encouraging wings wishing that he'd kind of continue boxing in a way because they'd hope maybe if he continued boxing he may end up losing the weight if he ends up losing the weight he may end up having a new motivation for life you end up might pursuing other things becoming a better streamer becoming a better gamer blah 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 but ultimately wings is who he is and I think the really good thing about locales, locales are very similar to us. It's why sometimes whenever I cover celebrities or notable people on my channel or my stream, I try not to otherize them. I try not to make them alien. I try not to kind of look at them from some sort of level of like moral superiority. Like, oh, I would never do that. <laughs> no, because I feel like we're all the same. We're all on the same sort of um plane that we operate in some of us are maybe are on a nicer patch of grass but essentially it's the same patch of grass if that's the case i know more than likely especially because i know how driven i know how motivated that i am i'm also very comfortable with the idea of somebody being the complete opposite of me and being completely content I don't think you need to be like I I am at the moment. I don't think you need to be, you know, always trying to strive and going for your dreams and pushing this and because my stuff can be quite what's that word called? It'd be quite destructive in its own way. Because generally I can't really have silence, right? I don't meditate because I can't really operate in silence. I always have to have a podcast playing, music playing, thinking, um, speaking to myself, running around, blah blah blah, always filling my time up with stuff, blah 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 blah. All of that is because I'm not really content with like sitting in my own thoughts and just chilling out. And there's maybe some anxiety tied in there, some frustration career-wise, whatever. There's something going on there. But I know that the opposite of me also exists on the same plane. And the opposite of me 
in that existence is somebody like a Wings of Redemption who just doesn't care, who's comfortable in the level that they're at at the moment. Call it level one, call it level zero, whatever. He's 400 pounds. All he does is order takeout. He sits in his, you know, a modular mansion, not moving from his chair, scooting around everywhere on his chair, asking his wife to get him water. He can't even bother to get up and shit, eating like horrible crap, being super toxic on streams and not doing, <coughs> and not trying to improve himself in any way, shape or form. And I'm saying that should be allowed because clearly his fans don't mind because they give him money to keep on doing what he's doing. Because I feel like, you know, if you don't want to encourage somebody to keep doing bad decisions or making bad choices, you should maybe not encourage them. And they're partly encouraging him by giving him tips, by subbing to his channel, sending him donos, sending him games and controllers. All those things are kind of reinforcing to him messages that what he's doing is fine. And now we're at a point, post-fight with Boogie, where you'd think he had all this goodwill around him. The first stream back from the boxing fight. He had tons of fucking super chats, tons of tips, everybody encouraging him. Yeah, Boogie, go for it. Get another fight in the books. Hopefully you can lose some weight. Get under 400 pounds. Maybe aim for 300 pounds. Maybe you could do 250 pounds. Whoa. Everybody's kind of encouraging him. PKA thing may happen, but eventually you always revert back to who you actually are. And here's a clip I'm going to play off my phone. I don't load it on my screen because it's getting too crazy. But this is a clip taken from Breaking Banquet's latest episode. Breaking Banquet's latest episode, right? Latest episode featuring Boogie. Sorry, featuring Winds of Redemption. And what you will see here, what you will hear here, is a man who just doesn't care. Who's over it, has accepted it, and doesn't want to make any necessary changes. Listen to Wings talk, and then you can tell me what you think about this. Really, why? Like, I like I was afraid I was going to fail. Like the whole like I was I was pulling so many viewers, and I'm like, if I get myself to believe that this is the new norm, I will set myself up for failure. So, like, I came in. Did you hear that? Because the post-fight stream went so well, he was afraid that that would set him up for failure because the people that were coming to see him post-fight were new people. Some fans, but some new people, like, wanting to give him a chance. And he knew he couldn't live up to that level. He couldn't be that positive. He couldn't have that, he couldn't, he couldn't repay their goodwill by, by changing his behavior, by changing his outlook on life. He knew more than likely he would have to revert back to what he's always been. A miserable, miserable guy. Whatever, manic depressive, whatever it may be. He knew eventually he'd have to revert back to it. And what I'm saying, is that that should be allowed. You should be allowed to be like, hey, I just don't have any dreams. I don't have any aspirations. I just want to sit here where I am right now, continue doing the bare minimum while getting the most out of life, feeling entitled, um, feeling like I deserve a career. I deserve people's, I'm entitled to their money. I'm entitled to their attention. I'm entitled to their eyes, their engagement, because so far it's worked. Because you can't say it hasn't. It's worked for 10 plus years for these guys. Wings, DSP, Boogie. Why should they change? Why should they change? It continues. Hey, and I pulled like two, I think the, the highest views we got this stream was, I don't know, maybe, I don't think we hit 300 at all at any point in the stream, like 290. So it's easier to accept it if you uh, do it. That's something that my wife hates, right? That I'm always thinking about the worst. And my, my whole line of thinking is like, if you prepare yourself for the worst, anything else that happens is good, right? Always. 
But the funny thing about him saying that, I agree with that kind of mode of thinking because I'm always along the lines of like, you're always going to encounter more struggle in your life than you're going to encounter good times. So you have to build yourself up in a way or condition your way, which is kind of the stoic principles, right? Of living your life, right? That's a stoic philosophy of looking at your life that you always have to kind of condition yourself and temper yourself in a way where you can withstand the flipping uh, pitfalls and shortcomings of life. Because more than likely, you're going to have to spend more time digging yourself out of a hole as opposed to lying back on a hammock somewhere. That's the nature of life. But what he's saying, the undercurrent of what he's saying, really, why bother trying if most things are going to go wrong? That's essentially what he's saying. Big up wings. Prepare yourself for the worst outcome possible. So every time I would come on the stream, I would prepare myself for getting less than 300 viewers, never touching the donation goal and things like that. So like, it kind of like curtailed like my thing. You like every now and then you let it slip, you know? Yeah. You never have expectations. You never have let down. Calvin, uh, <laughs> if I thought that upgrading my PlayStation account was worth it, I would have done it. I looked at the game library and I didn't want to play any of that. Is it honestly, like I'm, I'm at the point in my life where I'm kind of cool with this failing. Like that's why I, <laughs> I, I, took, I took this fight mainly to fix my leg and some household repairs because like if I can get myself to be able to stand up because like right now i can't stand up for more than 10 minutes like if i walk around i'm good right because I, I just did a 40 minute stream the other day of me walking around war warbird park but if i stand still my leg goes to sleep which you know in the big imagine imagine your body telling you you need to make some change physiologically your body's saying it's breaking it's going down something wrong emergency emergency and you're not willing to make a change. That is, to me, the physiological the physiological representation of giving up. And what I'm saying here, just to end it, is that you should be allowed to give up. It shouldn't be something that's looked down upon. So going back to the Jamarant Rant stuff, I don't know why everybody wants to give this guy a lecture, give him a talking... Even the stuff with Mizzy, with that prankster, walking into people's homes. He doesn't need rehabilitation. More than likely, that kid is you know, is already gone. He's already, you know, a lost cause. There's some damage there that cannot be kind of redone. He's a clout demon. He's got the clout virus, whatever it may be. Some people are just the way they are because they're just the way they are. And no amount of correction is ever going to fix that, especially if they're getting out of it what they want to get out of it. In terms of Mizzy, you get all the engagements, you get all the follows, you get all the hate comments. That's you, it's still a bit of clout. You're on TV and shit. You might have a verified account, all that nonsense. Same with Wings. You've got a 10 plus career, um, you know, in live streaming, not having to work a regular job, sitting on your ass, playing video games very badly, being toxic on streams, and so far you've been rewarded for it. Why should you change? That is my main point. Why should you change if the world has given you no incentive to change? And also, if I exist, a very driven, self-motivated type of person who cannot keep still and has to keep on moving. Cool. That's amazing. I can look at myself and think, oh, you're doing great. Give us a pat on the back. Brendan Straub style. But if I exist, the opposite also has to exist. The person who doesn't really give a shit, who takes life as it comes, who's always complaining, who expects everything for everybody, who's always got their hand out, feels super entitled, doesn't want to do anything to change or correct their life, always blaming people, is always a victim. That person also exists and they have to, have to be left to exist. That's my one and only point. 
let people be lazy, let people give up, let people crash out, because why not? All right? At least it makes their life somewhat fun. And also, we have enough things to worry about ourselves anyway. Why should you concern somebody? Why should you be concerned about how somebody decides to live their life? Unless they're directly, you know, involved in yours, a member of your family, somebody that you care about. Why should you care how they decide to live their life? Like I said, with the John Morant stuff, it's very frustrating because I think for the most part, especially in basketball, similar to here in the UK with football, which you guys in America called soccer, because there's so many people out there who try and fail to become professional athletes, sometimes when you see somebody who's super gifted and is given this incredible once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to change their lives, to become a legend in their sport, to play at the highest levels, win all the trophies, and you're seeing them piss it all away, it can really grate at you like, fuck, man, if that was me, I would do this, I would do that. But guess what? It's not you. It's them. They should be allowed to do it. It's just a job like anything else. Doesn't mean because you wanted to do it and now they're doing it and they're taking the piss out of it, it kind of makes it any less worthwhile. No, let them carry on with their life. Let them crash out as they be and use them as an example because they're not that different from you. That's what I'm saying. We all live on an equal playing field. I'm not looking down at John Ryan thinking, oh, how do you do that? You, if you had that talent, I'll do something different. No, we don't know what's going on with his life, but it's a, me- it's a lesson that can be learned both ways he could look at somebody crushing it you know being a store manager at fucking target and think wow man i wish i had his motivation i wish i had his drive i wish i had his commitment in the same way the target guy can look at it thinking rah the grass isn't always green on the other side look at what this kid is doing that's my message let people crash out because they want to crash out but hey maybe maybe i'm incorrect in this one i'd love to know your thoughts and feelings later on as you speak about this continuing on with this and big up the stream chat big up everybody what tuning in live i appreciate you if you are watching this live and you are here watching this podcast live make sure that you're smashing that like button down below for me throughout the whole period of the time so you can let people know that you're enjoying the show moving on quickly we've got this post courtesy of the Berghain subreddit right? The Bergheim community subreddit, one of my favorite subreddits out there in terms of getting information specifically on the Bergheim, you know, club itself and also the wider Berlin city and what's happening there. Because it feels like on that sub, there's a few more locals, regulars, people that live there, blah, 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 whatever they want to call themselves. They all kind of exist in there. And some of the topics of conversation are a little bit more interesting than the mainstream techno subreddit, which is essentially turning into an EDM version of techno, which we can talk about another time. But hey, we continue. This recent post here kind of peeved me off because this for me, I feel like is an example of what I've been mentioning myself about the acceptance and the understanding that I am not the same flipping pill head, coke head, MDMA head, weed head, um, I don't know, meow meow head that I was in the past. I'm not that guy anymore. I can't handle that shit as much as I used to do in the past. I wish I could, but I cannot. So, I have to adapt, I have to change, I have to move, I have to move the way that I move, right, whatever it may be, and one of the things is, maybe kind of specking out my sessions once or twice a year, that's it at most, but for the most part, going to these parties, having a good dance, or nothing more than flipping good old coffee, good old water, and maybe some sparkling fucking water or something, regardless, nothing too crazy, fine, but, <clears throat> it's also an acceptance that the landscape in the clubs has changed, 
So at the moment, there's a real kind of battle of friction happening on the dance floors between millennials, I say, millennials, maybe some boomers and the Gen Z kids, because these Gen Z kids are really different. I think so than a lot of millennials, because especially in London, I'm not sure about you guys, especially in London, the clubbing community of people, the clubbing community of people in London, especially the Gen Z kids, they're not as a drug adult as some of us people in other generations. They actually don't mind going out completely sober. They actually don't mind going out listening for the going for the music. They actually don't mind going out only to get their fits off and to look cool and to look cute and to show off this, show off the makeup, get some new clients, blah blah blah. They're out there for all different reasons, community building. So if that's the case, naturally, they're going to change the landscapes of the clubs and they're going to move around and kind of operate differently. But I also don't agree with this post that says Gen Z's and their lack of etiquette. This person posted the following. It's rampant how obnoxious they get, even skipping the queue to get into the toilets, confronting people who are waiting. Am I the only one here who sees that most 18 to 25 year old people don't know how to share space with others? I completely disagree. I personally think the main people who are problems on dance floors are millennials, personally for me. Millennial queers, millennial gays, millennials in general are the worst people in that space, especially the people from the LGBTQ plus queer community, because for some reason, which makes sense because of how the club is founded, but they take real ownership in the, in that club, Burkhardt specifically. They feel like they own the place. They walk around like they own the place. Like I've never been barged, shoulder checked in my life more than when I go to Bergheim. It's fucking crazy. You get spun around all times of places and usually you get spun around by super ripped and jacked gay guys who you know, if you tried it, they would absolutely pop your fucking head off your shoulders. So it's not even worth a fight. But they walk around barging you, you know, your drink falls out of your hand, your gear falls on the floor, you're there with your phone looking for it like a fucking crackhead. It's absolutely mad. But they're legitimately, I think, some of the worst vibish people in there. And most of the time also, because it's a big club it's a super club it's a one of the best clubs in the world you're going to attract sometimes some dodgy people here and there it's the name of the game it's just unfortunate because so many thousands of people cross through those doors every single weekend but some of the times i reckon you can avoid some of the shitty people if you avoid going to the bait nights like the public holidays um the end of year celebrations whatever it may be right the easters the new year's eve all those things you can avoid meeting those crowds if you kind of don't go to those ones or don't go to the bait lineups when you go to random club knacks random club nights over there it's fucking cool fucking chill no one's harassing you everyone's all right so this idea that it's always like this is a bit mad but we continue to read some of the accounts of people and how they think gen z's are the issue when i think actually it's millennials first person says I'm Gen Z and I cannot agree more. Whenever anyone does uh, misbehave, it's guaranteed to be someone my age. It's shameful. One of the main reasons why I go to Bergheim more than any other place like Trezor or something is that the door policy does filter out a significant chunk of people, black, <laughs> who are bad for the vibe and also my age. I'm fearful of going to with anyone but my one rave buddy because the lack of humility in people my age is astounding. And I don't mean to sound uppity or snobbish but it's definitely noticeable as everybody in this thread sound sec, uh, seconds i would however ask one thing don't immediately look at people at my age and think that we're all cunts chances are we are but not always give us a chance i don't think that's personally true i think i've met more chill safe gen z kids 
then I've met millennials in nightclubs. And I'm going to fucking put my hat on that. Gen Z kids are actually kind of cool. Maybe they inter interact with the spaces differently. Maybe they do care about their image. Maybe they are walking around a little bit more with their shoulders high, with their shoulders back and their chest high and their chin high and shit. Cool. Maybe that's a little bit annoying. I understand it. But also, my kind of underlying point is this. I think in general, if you get to the point of start complaining about the patrons who, you know, are going to be the next generation of people to kind of use that space, I think that's an indication that you're the one, you're the one that's expired. You're the one that's old as fuck. You're the one that needs to hang it up. If you're complaining about Gen Z kids in there, because unfortunately, those kids are young. They're only going to get younger especially with more access to the information and to resources out there they're going to start getting involved in the scene younger 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 than than we were and they're going to start taking over putting on their nights becoming djs becoming artists working in the industry and slowly but surely it will all filter out the oldies so if you're an old person that's complaining about the gen z kids that for me like what i noticed the other day where i was like fuck i'm having a three-day hangover that might mean i have to fucking quick the gear that is another representation, another kind of example, another kind of, yeah, another example that you can find that maybe isn't as harmful as taking drugs and then finding you can't do it. But it's definitely a clear example that life is giving you that you need to hang it up. You're the problem, not the Gen Z kids. That's my opinion. Another one per says, um, let's continue here. Another one says, couldn't agree more. It's hard to, to be reduced to one's age, but I can't blame the ones that do. Another one. Um, anyone says, uh, it's apparently very much a thing. I, of course, know some lovely people in that age range, but social media, especially TikTok, has created a monster of entitlement and complete lack of community. I disagree. The entitlement already exists through the nature of the fucking club. They select you at the door. They say, you can come in, you can't come in. As soon as you walk through that door, you believe deep down, I know I do. Of course I can come in. I'm entitled. I'm cool. You start to fucking gas yourself up once you get through those doors. Once you start getting searched. Once you start emptying your shit in the fucking bins. Once you start getting a sticker on your phone. When you start paying. Once you start going to the fucking cloakroom. Once you walk up to the stairs. You start thinking you're one of the chosen ones. So that club by its design, by its nature, has already given you a warped sense of fucking self-importance. It's no surprise that people are like that. And community, come on, do me a favour. People don't care about community in there. There are some rare occasions when you're on a Berkheim dance floor, panorama dance floor, giving it the business where you connect with people. You're dancing with people around you and you feel like you're all one fucking hive mind. You're all one joining together, going left and right, throbbing your arms in the air. Yes, that does happen. But for the most part, everyone's existing in their own little bubbles anyway. There's no fucking community. It's a nightclub. It's fucking dark. People are behind fucking curtains, jacking each other off, fingering each other, swapping saliva. They don't want to talk to you. They're at the bar getting drinks with their friends. They don't want to talk to you. They're in the toilets doing their flipping lines. They don't want to talk to you. There is no community. You go there to enjoy the music, to see the DJs, to maybe be a part of something. But community? Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Doesn't exist. Anyway, it continues. It's about looking hotter than everybody else. Doing the most drugs. Lack of compassion for those around you. I think the drugs thing is not true either. Because look at that guy who recently was complaining and crying about the clubs in Berlin. The black dude. I forgot his name who got chucked out, I think of else and stuff, and started complaining, and then obviously the story transpired that he was a fucking GHB addict, so maybe else had a reason for checking, chucking him out in the first place. 
I think most of the people who are real JGHB fiends and who are flipping toxifying and zombifying the dance floors, I would hazard a guess most of them are millennials. I don't see a lot of Gen Z kids getting super addicted to GHB, personally. Maybe it's just me. It continues. It's about looking hotter than anybody, um, doing the most drugs, lack of compassion for those around you, etc. As somebody who takes club etiquette very seriously, imagine saying that about yourself with, with, with confidence. That's hilarious. Um, it really gets to me. A lot of last club nuts I've been to have felt quite cold in terms of the previous mentioned things. That's why it's always a pleasure when you get those nights where the club or the crowd is super nice, makes space, isn't completely cooked um and you can actually get in a damn toilet within an hour not sure much can be done without different selection though i also add due to the economic reasons i'm more put off trying as often as i would do paying 25 euros to end up having a not so night not so good night when i know how good it can be it's quite disheartening the place is how it is it's changed over the years i know it having been going 10 plus years i know it's annoying but you have to adapt and evolve with the change of the club or find somewhere else to go that's the beauty of the clubbing landscape especially in a city like berlin there's no shortage of clubs you can go to that can scratch your itch now is it disappointing that the one place that you kind of saw as your introduction to the scene the one place that you saw as a quote-unquote safe space is kind of turning to shit yeah but like i said if you avoid all the bait nights all the public holiday nights and you try and go on the off nights that want the nights where the lineup isn't super stacked with famous djs and just have loads of heads and local people on it usually those are the funnest ones to go to but no one wants to go to those ones why because all the cool kids aren't there there's not massive queues you can just walk in when you want that's the issue at hand really underlying it and also if you have to go to a nightclub and you start complaining about the patrons maybe it's your opportunity to stay at home maybe another one says Last one, sums up my experience this weekend after a five-year break, young groups with too much effort on stylish outfits, but not enough on friendly attitude, jumping the queue, refusing to let solo women to pee first, taking ages to take their drugs, that wasn't bad or common enough to ruin the day, but it did, I did remember this isn't in Berkheim, I guess I'm old, yes you are, all this door policy for this result is a bit disappointing. When it comes to queue jumping in Berkheim, I think people are too polite and are being pussies when i'm queuing outside that club nobody is jumping in front of me i've had full-on arguments near-on fights in the queue because somebody's jumping in front of me but i always have you know it's a thing that i've always had a trigger when it comes to queuing maybe because of my history of fucking buying limited edition shoes and queuing outside of bape queuing outside of supreme and foot patrol maybe that's a residue of that of being fucking mugged over by older people that would pull up in their cars and be friends with the store staff and shake their hands and jump in front so maybe since those days i've been like you know what no one's ever jumping in front of me in the queue but in general when it comes to the Bergheim queue one of the longest fucking club queues in the world sometimes you can wait there as short as zero minutes and as long as fucking four hours like I did one time it's unacceptable for people to jump in front of you that's a complete lack of respect for the people around you for yourself and the club overall that's not the ethos of what the club promotes blah de blah 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 in the past in the past there was a time where the fucking bouncers would leave the door, the security of Berkheim, and they would walk down the queue, at least to the top of where the spetty is, right? The little kind of little fucking thing where you can buy beer from. They would walk up until there, just kind of checking the queue and making sure nobody's jumping in. There was a time they did that. Obviously, since the pandemic, you know, whatever, things have changed. 
they're concentrating their resources in the actual club that can actually control. So people are taking a piss more with a queue. But if you let somebody jump in front of you in a queue, it's your fucking fault. Because if it's me and somebody's jumping in front of me in a queue, it's going to ruin my night if I don't say something. I have to say something. And I would rather risk getting denied entry than having some fucking cunt wake up four hours after I've been standing for four hours in the fucking queue and just jump in front of me because they can't be bothered to wait. You have to set the precedent and stamp that shit out. And I think too much people are too polite. They're too scared of getting refused at the door that they don't tell somebody, hey, you were, you, you jumped in. I've tapped people on the shoulder, like tapped them style, hard. Hey, get to the back. You jumped in. Or sometimes I won't even say something. They jump in front of me. I walk in front of them. Standard. Like, it's not happening. You're not jumping in front of me. So if you let that shit happen, you always happen to yourself. The toilet etiquette thing, I kind of agree. People do take the piss in the toilet. Mostly because they're all high and shit. So they're having fucking UN conventions in the toilet and talking about how they can cure, you know, they can fucking, you know, be the bastions of fucking world peace and shit and end the war in Ukraine. That's really annoying. But to be honest, it's the drugs. And if it is the drugs, there's always that toilet downstairs near the reception or near the fucking cloakroom that people usually go to if you want to piss and shit, actually. It's a little toilet. I think it's actually on the way to the garden. There's a really nice sort of toilet in there that has those really nice LED bars on the side of the loo. Those are ones that you should go to and they're usually cleaner. And for the most part, it's an unwritten rule in those toilets that you don't do drugs. You go there only to piss and shit. Cool. But the rest of it, if you're letting people spoil your mood by jumping in the queue before you, it's really your fault, in my own personal opinion. That's the only thing that I would say. And I think in general, like I said, just to end this point, if you're in a club and you start complaining about the kids in there, I think it's time for you to go and get a new hobby, take up golf, take up pool, go hang out with your fucking kids, do something as opposed to doing all that stuff because clearly, clearly there's an issue going on there. Moving on from issues and talking about the people behind the fucking DJ booth. Am I the only other person who's realized this? Again, I don't know much about EDM. It's one of the my most hated forms of music, mostly because I don't understand how people can enjoy the repetitive format of EDM. The like it's the same fucking flow of the build up the crescendo and then bang the same fucking drop all the time the little fucking vocal edit maybe it's some it's some meme online they fucking clip it they put it as a loop whatever i don't get it the music for me is fucking awful i i'm not a fan of it in the slightest the one thing i don't mind about it is the stage productions i love the shows they invest a lot of money into the fucking production of it so i feel like if you go to the edm show at least for your 50 dollars you're going to get a bit of a show. You're going to get pyrotechnics. You're going to get fucking smoke. You're going to get fucking LEDs. You might get somebody dancing in a fucking cage and shit. It's fucking amazing. I love that bit of it. But the music, count me out. The other thing I noticed also is that these EDM DJs, either they're playing at home in their bedrooms like I do, or they're performing in front of crowds of thousands. There is no middle ground. And most of these guys are also very happy to show their wealth and their success more so than any dj in any other genre i feel like especially in techno techno djs will complain on twitter about shit but you very rarely see them posting about their private jets unless they're like you know business techno people but they're very rarely prep 
you know, post about their private cars, private jets, about the money they earn in gigs, about what they can buy with that money, where they live. Like they're very, they're very kind of aware of trying to act somewhat modest online and keep it in check. But you know, <clears throat> most successful DJs, especially if you're touring and you're playing at most decent venues, you're going to be earning at minimum, at minimum, 5,000 playing in most places 5,000 pounds euros whatever is a lot especially when you think a lot of the DJs are playing like six gigs in one weekend you can really get paid especially when it comes to festival season you can start playing more in a day and even smack out flipping more sets blah 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 so I want to know Cursed this clip I took from this guy called John Summit, who's on social. Very, very prominent figure, actually. He does a really good job of promoting himself on social media, especially on Twitter, where I see him. He also has, I think, one of the most punchable faces in the world. Not because he's a, he's, he, he has a bad attitude. He's just got one of those faces that you just want to punch. I don't know why. It's just maybe the way his mouth moves when he smiles and shit. But I'm really intrigued. Why do EDM DJs seem to be way more comfortable kind of showing off the successes of their career, and whatever or the trappings of their success sorry more so than techno djs like what's the deal there because i feel like they're both as rich as each other but these guys don't mind flaunting it as much and this clip is taken from his twitter it features him starting off in bed it's 24 hours in the life of john summit as he's sitting in bed first of all he sleeps with a rolex maybe a cartier bracelet there's some other swanky necklaces here maybe some homer shit so already in bed and plus the hotel room looks really swanky already in bed He's got more on his fucking body than I have in my fucking bank account. On his bed right now. <laughs> right? He's already got like a 30 grand Rolex, uh, some expensive chains and shit. And it's going to get even crazier as it continues. So this is a clip taken from his fucking Twitter. Let's play it. 24 hours in the life of John Summit. First, I ripped some techno in Austin. Then I went to Alabama for hangout. fans kind of assaulted me but they gave me some squishmallows look at the crowds look at the crowds look at the crowds look at the crowds smiles on everyone's faces maybe because they're all on molly and shit but still they look happy they're having a good time he's loving the attention and again this is another good example as well i need to mention these edm djs seem to be super friendly i actually see him replying to people in the comments he's replying to people on twitter he's replying back like, they ask him a question. Hey, do you have a tune ID? Oh, I saw this. Did you see that? He's replying. Some of these techno DJ guys will leave you on fucking scene asking for a tune ID. Not even guest list. A tune ID. Hey, when's this tune coming out that you played this one time? I want to buy it with my money. I like you. I think you're an amazing artist. Talk to me. Leave you on scene. Won't even open your fucking message. Won't even reply back to you. Whereas this guy is infinitely more successful, has way more money in his bank account, has probably less time to interact, but he's always making the time to just quickly chat back and shit. I see him replying to his fans all the time on Twitter. He's always replying back to them. It's fucking amazing. So it was lit. Then I jetted off to Vegas with my squid. Look at that private jet. Holy shit. Wishes. Went in the helicopter to go off to EDC. He's in a helicopter. He takes a private jet somewhere and that's like a helicopter to the fucking venue because I guess cars aren't good enough. Cars are not good enough for John's fucking summit. What a boss. So what is the reason? Somebody tell me in the comments as Cardi B says, what is the reason? Why do these EDM DJs feel way more comfortable flaunting their wealth as opposed to techno DJs? Because personally, I've got to say, I think I prefer this. I think I detest the cosplaying of working class 
the cosplaying of underground. Think of all the stick that Peggy Goo was getting. A lot of it is to do with her attitude, and she might be a bitch, she might be a cunt, who knows? But there's plenty of bitches and cunts in the DJ field. We can't just point her out to be the worst one. She might have a more funnier story, but, you know, she's not, she's not fucking unique in that tale. But I think the one thing that really got under people's skin with Peggy Goo was this fucking fake narrative they were pushing out there that she was some sort of underground artist, that she was some struggling up-and-comer, just trying to make it, just trying to express herself in music. It's like, hold on. You don't get to find yourself in Berlin, Paris, and London if you're just some struggling undercover underground person. You clearly had the bank of mum and dad, you know, supporting your dreams and allowing you to make mistakes more than most people, which is true, which is a which is okay. But, but let's not lie. And I feel like that lie is what makes people really uncomfortable. It's pisses what people, what pisses some people off. But these guys don't lie. They're like, yes, of course I'm rich. You check my Spotify. You see my monthly listens. You see how booked and busy I am. Of course I'm taking a private jet. I'm playing 10 gigs in one weekend. I can't fly like fucking coach. Who do you think I am? I make money. Clearly. Look at my car. Look at my watch. I actually prefer that. I actually prefer that than pretending to be a blue collar fucking DJ. A working class DJ. I actually prefer that. Show us what you're doing. Show us. Be for real. Stop hiding. some techno first before meeting up with my boy Subtronics to work on our little secret set. Y'all mind if I bring out John motherfucking Shit was bonkers. Look at that crowd. Yeah, look at that crowd. I couldn't imagine anything worse. But they look like they're having an absolute blast. LEDs, lights, phone camera, slash phone camera, lights going all over the place, flags in the air, people probably smashing in the back. Because I don't know if I saw it on social media. For some reason, EDC is the most horniest festival I've seen in my entire life. The amount of clips I've seen on Twitter over the last past couple of days of fucking teenagers i'm guessing young people smashing all over the place eating each other out sucking each other licking each other i'm like god almighty how much molly are these guys fucking on or is the music that good what's happening over there oh holy shit <laughs> then i had my solo set which was a blast we choppered out at sunrise just so i could lose all my money at the casino what a day 24 <laughs> Look, I love John Summit. He seems like a cool dude, but doesn't he have objectively a very punchable face? Come on. Come on. Come on. Doesn't he have a very punchable face? Objectively speaking. Look at the face from there at the end, going to the fucking casino. Yeah, it's lit. Beers with the lads, beers with the boys. And then look at the picture of him in bed. <laughs> I fucking love it. I don't know why these EDM DJs seem to be more comfortable flaunting their wealth. I would love to find out because I feel like them and techno guys make the same money, but I love the fact that they do it anyway. I love the fact that they do it. Anyways, moving on from that one, we've got a brief update here about the rapper Slow Tie unfortunately being removed from festival lineups because of the pending investigation regarding his rape charges. And I have to say, personally speaking, this might be the best way to deal with somebody that's getting accused of the things he's getting accused of. Slow Tide got charged with, I think, two counts of rape. He's vehemently saying he didn't do it. But, 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 he's also been charged. 
He went to, you know, went to court, had a hearing. So I think in this scenario, if you're a festival, if you're a platform and you want to take him off and let him have some time out as the, you know, the trial kind of goes through its process and whatnot, that's okay. Then if it comes out that he's innocent, put him back on the lineups again. That's the only issue that I have with cancel culture a little bit. It's like a good instrument in order to kind of shame people. But also sometimes I feel like if you get found innocent in a court of law, sometimes your career isn't allowed to kind of restart. You're kind of cancelled forever. I feel like if you're going to take the sensible approach, what these festivals have done, like Gastonbury, and remove him off the lineup because he's got some open charges against him, that makes complete sense. Let him go through the process. If it's found out that he's innocent, which is, you know, not likely, but let's say he gets found out he's innocent, then welcome him back on the lineup like nothing changed. That should be the right way to go at things. I don't even agree with going after the, you know, the accusers. Because some people say that, oh, if somebody put a fake rape charge on you, they should be prosecuted. No, I don't think so. I feel like if you get if you get charged or somebody accuses you of rape, go through the, as horrible as it may be, go through the process of going through that court proceedings, trying to fight your case in court, trying to prove your innocence. Or if you're the victim, prove that that person did that to you. Then if it comes out, if the ruling is that you're innocent, you should be allowed to pick up and start your life again like nothing happened. But that doesn't happen. People consistently just have this thing of like, court public opinion says you're guilty, so you're guilty, even though the court say you're not. And in this case, who knows? It's 50-50. He could be, he couldn't be. But I do like the sensible approach these festivals are doing by the time now. Take a look, because I do feel like I kind of agree with the idea that, especially to perform on a festival, maybe your own fans are one thing, but if you're going to perform at a festival, perform at a show somewhere, that's somebody else's platform. And it's also a bit of a privilege. So they're allowed to say, we don't want you on our platform because you're bad for business or we don't agree with what you are accused of. Fine. Then if you decide to go off and start doing your own shows um, without the assistance of Live Nation, without going performing at a festival, you shouldn't have people telling you you can't do shows or cancelling the venue for you. You should be allowed to do it if your fans want to come and see you. But it should also be advisable to most people, I feel like, to take the time out and actually deal with the allegations properly so you can start your career again, actually, once that thing is over. But what do I know? Anyway, cut to the Sky News. It says the follows. The rapper Slow Tie has been removed from lineups of several music festivals after he was charged with two counts of rape. The British um, rapper 28 was scheduled to appear at the major festivals this summer, including Gasbury, Reading and Leeds and Parklife in Manchester. But his name has been removed from the lineups in recent days. However, he still had billed at Blur's support act for their 8th of July concert at Wembley. Most likely this will go unless the Blur guys are like, now nah, we stand against cancel culture, which I think is dumb because it's the first you know concert they have back in a while promoting a new album. It wouldn't make no sense sense to stand behind so especially if you don't know the guy you know putting your career on the line for him is a bit nuts personally so i expect that to be cancelled too it continues tickets for the show on slow ties ugly war tour in september were still available on wednesday for dates in manchester london and birmingham the forbidden fruit freestyle so the forbidden fruit festival in dublin also still lists slow ties one of the headliners none of the festivals in slow ties representative returned to sky news with requests of comments the rapper also real name is tyron frampton was bailed in Oxfordshire Magistrate Court on Tuesday and will appear in Oxford Crown Court on 15th of July. He was cast, he has categorically denied the charges and said he's confident his name will be cleared. So this is the process that I would prefer to happen. You get charged, you get accused of rape. The victims that you are accusing you go to court. 
because they can because you know unfortunately the rape laws here in the uk are crazy if you wait a certain amount of time you can't be charged it's, it's a bit murky so not if you not because you get found guilty in the court of law it means you didn't do it sometimes it could be a little bit of a gray area but i prefer this fucking process you get charged the victims speak out they 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 go to the police they file a complaint they put the charges against you you appear in court and then all these platforms are you know putting you out there and shit they can decide hey we don't agree with what you've done you're not good for business we're going to take a step back and remove you from our lineup or not endorse you cool that kind of enforces you to have a moment of forced kind of time out so you can kind of get your affairs in order and deal with your charges and fight for your innocence or plead your innocence in court but if you decide to put on your own events during that time, which I don't think is advisable, but imagine you do, you're like, oh, I have to express myself. But the only way therapy I know how to do is to be on stage and all that gobbledygook. You put a show on. I don't feel like venues should cancel on you just because of what you've been charged with. If it's a venue that you're paying money on to perform at, unless they have a stipulation in their contract that says, oh, if you've been, if you have open charges, you can't perform there. Most of it doesn't happen that way. So you should be able to have your own show. So if your fans don't mind, you should be allowed to exist and do what you need to do. But the the, the kind of, you know, the platforms, the festivals and stuff, if they decide they don't want to be associated with you anymore, that's completely fine, in my personal humble opinion. So in this case, he has a lot more things to worry about than performing at Glastonbury. He has to fight for his innocence and see where that goes. And then if he is proven innocent, he should be allowed to restart his career once again. But if he's guilty, you know what I mean? Throw him in the fucking prison. Get out of here personally for me thanks for giving the news and voice of what we deserve hey big up lucid thank you for donating 10 i appreciate you brother thank you so much i try and do the best i can with the information that's available to me i'm nobody special i'm just a tiny guy from a tiny place in london try the best that i can do sitting inside with the windows closed because if i open them there's too much noise outside of my window and i'm sweating like an absolute tank but i appreciate the words of encouragement big up lucid big up big up lucid anyways moving on from that one moving on from that quick one to go like this regarding new york times and i feel like i really resonate with this so this is regarding this is regarding the qr code menus which i've always fucking hated not sure about you guys but qr code menus at restaurants have always been a bane of my existence they only kind of started i think since the pandemic because of course, you know, there was this idea that you could give somebody COVID if you touched a bit of paper, you sneezed on it and handed it to them. Fucking nonsense. But then <clears throat> you could sit outside in these fucking indoor sheds. The co- honestly, the COVID world that we lived in was fucking insane, right? You couldn't have a paper menu to read through to pick your fucking shit that you want to eat. But you could sit in these technically outdoor dining area things that were enclosed. What? So if I'm sneezing all over the place and I'm coughing all over the place, I can get everybody infected. But God forbid I have a bit of A4 paper with the fucking a la carte menu on it because somebody might fucking faint and have an heart attack. Come on, do me a favor. Anyway, New York Times, the QR code menu is being shown the door and I'm super happy about it. Um, Subtext says a dining innovation that once looked like the future has worn its worn out its welcome with many restaurants um customers and servers say it takes the joy out of dining which i 100% agree with there aren't many moments in your life day to day where you have some forced moments where you can put your phone away 
there's not many moments in life generally your phone is always next to you it's always in your pocket it's always near you which makes people excuses that oh i didn't see your message oh i didn't which makes it hilarious because most people are always on their phones not me because i'm always fucking reading as you can see and stuff right so i have a lot of time away from my phone watching movies and documentaries and shit fair enough and i have to keep my phone on silent but most people have notifications on most people's phones are in their hands bloody blah 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 so when you go to a restaurant when you go to the movies, whatever it may be, when you go to the theater, these are some rare moments in one's life where you don't need to have your phone in your hand all the time. And I felt like when the QR code thing happened, it kind of forced you to start using your phone again when you're eating dinner. One of the things I hate the most when you go to dinner with somebody is when they always keep their phone up looking as you're sitting down having something to eat. It always feels like a barrier of connection. It always feels like they're looking for an exit. It's like an exit fucking door looking for them to kind of get out the situation because they don't want to be here <coughs> as long as maybe that you want to do and you don't get a chance to actually enjoy the moment sit in it eat connect whatever it may be enjoy the ambiance and for the most part restaurants right they're all the same they all serve food you know unless you're going to high-end ones the food usually for the most part in most popular metropolitan cities the food's always going to be like a six to you know out of ten anyway so the food's generally going to be good what actually separates the the shit ones from the great ones is the ambiance, the interior, the music, the sounds of the people talking, the fucking scents, the flowers, whatever, all that shit as to the experience. But you can't enjoy that if you're just on your phone, which is why I've always kind of had a hard time getting around the idea of these restaurants that have those neon lights, those kind of Instagrammable kind of walls where you can take selfies of yourself and stuff. That makes really no sense because it immediately changes the whole vibe and atmosphere of a restaurant. It makes it just, you know, it's, as, as if it's, it's not really an immersive space anymore. It makes it very distracting. But the major thing that I said before is I think the QR code menu thing, it just takes away the connection. There was a, there's a kind of paragraph here in this article written by Amelia Nirenberg. So big up Amelia, which from New York Times, where it mentioned something about feel. I can get it up on you. Let's see. I think it was something about feel. Something, yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. So here, um, it says here. So the motivation for the about face is quite simple. Restaurateur says diners just hate the QR code menus. They are almost universally disliked, <laughs> right? In all restaurants, they are almost universally disliked, which I definitely agree with. One reason is etiquette. Everyone knows it's rude to take your phone out of the table, but that's what a digital menu demands. And having to make a special request for a paper menu is awkward. No one wants to be that guy. Exactly. People don't want to be that guy so much, they'd rather pull out their phone and sit there across from somebody they're having dinner with looking at the fucking menu and i'm not sure about you but sometimes i feel like menu food hits different when it's on paper it just looks worse sometimes i've looked at a menu of a restaurant on my phone i've decided what i want to eat then i've gone to the restaurant in person had the paper menu in my hand and be like you know what i don't want that i'm gonna change my mind the menu the font the fucking little price without the fucking denomination and shit all that stuff kind of hits different when you're actually in the fucking space so imagine what a phone does when you're forced to pull out your phone and then you have to go through the whole qr code thing because i'm quite tech savvy i can i know my way around a computer i know my way around a smartphone but for some reason every time i see a qr code i fucking flinch what am i meant to do like use my phone to scan it like that like a fucking like a i don't know like a cordless battery charger thing 
Am I meant to scan? Meant to scan it on my camera? Like what am I meant to do? Turn on, like it took a while to figure out. Okay, I got to open my camera. Then I got to take a picture. Then the vidlet. And then sometimes you go to restaurants. Not sure about you, but you know my network isn't the greatest. And sometimes the restaurants I go to are in like 3G dead zones or they're in basements. So there's not good network. So you're trying to get it up on your phone. It's not working. And then you don't want to ask the server because they looked already stressed and running around. It's just an absolute nightmare. Anyway, it continues. Another drawback to the coded menu is its feel. As the pandemic ebbs, restaurants are trying to coax people to eat out. The seduction of a dining room is part of the get. Dusky, um, candlelit, and uninterrupted eye-to-eye conversation. A QR code can kill the mood. Phones up, blue lights on, conveniently off. Exactly. I agree with that. It continues. The bottom line is the QR code is the antithesis of romance, said Richard Boccato, the owner of Dutch Kills Bar in Long Island City. It hinders communication and it hinders intimacy. The bar dropped its coded menus in summer 2021. The moment that it was okay for us to get back to the proper menu, he said, his main objection to them, as a menu is a window, is a soul of a restaurant and a QR code has no soul. 100% agree. That menu on the window is one of the easiest ways to kind of gauge the vibe of a restaurant. And it's such a clever way to get people to kind of look up close to the restaurant. Because usually when you go to restaurants, people enjoy sitting on the seats around the edge, not really in the middle. Sometimes in the bays or maybe next to a window because it's kind of romantic. And also if it's a bustling restaurant, you're going to have people moving around. You're going to have the bar, people handing cocktails and shit. And if you see a nice restaurant menu in a nice fucking LED box, you know, on the side of the fucking window, very elegantly placed next to the door so you can peek in if you want to. But you get a chance to see all the cool people on the inside, the vibe, the ambiance. And then you also see no blue lights, no flashing phones. It actually helps and adds to the atmosphere. So imagine what fucking QR code does. That fucking horrible, um, weird, dotted, pigmented thing here in the middle. It's just horrible on the window. I fucking hate it. So I'm happy that they're now being scrapped. I really am. So the article is really cool anyway, regardless. Very um, interesting article to check out. Courtesy of the New York Times. It's titled, The QR Code Menu is Being Shown the Door by a Lady Called Amelia Nirenberg. Check it out if it's available wherever you are. Check it out if it's available wherever you are. Moving on from that one and continuing the conversation about restaurants, we've got this article, <clears throat> Courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. And this article kind of explains why people agree more with the adage that if restaurants aren't cool there's no reason to go to them because i didn't understand this whole hot take i think i heard it first of all from chris black on how long gone then i saw that um what you call it that journalist on twitter basically saying if restaurants are cool it's a red flag and then i was thinking to myself hold on I go to restaurants for the food. I don't go to restaurants because it's cool. It kind of adds to it, don't get me wrong. But the main reason why I go to like a Hawksmoor is because they've got the best steak in the f- in fucking London. And then it also happens to be a cool restaurant. Happens to also be a nice ambiance. Blah, 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 blah. But I'm not going there primarily because it's known to be the cool, hit place to be. I'm going there for the fucking steaks. But I do understand from the premise, if you're somebody who unlike me don't actually go to clubs or don't like going to bars maybe the only way to kind of be around adults in a somewhat clubby barry environment is a really swanky restaurant you can spend a bit of money you can put on some nice clothes you can hear the best of griselda ethel kane 
Caroline Palaszczuk, Tyler the Creator, um, <clears throat> Robert Glasper, whatever nice chic tips of music you like playing on the speakers. You can have a good vibe, take a couple of good pictures of the food, get some likes off on your Instagram and have a good time. And also, more importantly, connect with the hip and cool people working there because usually they try their best to, you know, hire cool looking people so that it makes it a good place to go. So I can understand that kind of point of it. So this article kind of explains it very, very well and has some incredibly chic images of some really beautiful looking restaurants in the actual article itself. I think the headline one, this is a Matt Abricus new venture, which is called the Golden Swan in Manhattan. That looks fucking beautiful. I love a good restaurant that has a really good bar. Because usually, if I'm not going with one person, I'm usually going by myself to a restaurant. So I love the ability to be able to post up at a bar, have some have some bar food, especially if they've got a different menu for seated at bar menu. Um, be able to order a cocktail, be able to have some powwow with a fucking bartender. Back in the day, if I wanted to get some yayo, I would fucking ask a bartender, hey, where can I score some things? Because usually the entire kitchen is on something, so you can always get something for the guys. Like, that has always been one of my kind of draws. If a restaurant has a good bar, I'm fucking there. I'm fucking there. Anyway, the title of the article is, Why Restaurants in Manhattan Are the New Nightclub. It says, in 2006, Matt Abrichek, how to Abram... Abramchik, yeah, Matt Abramchik, <clears throat> sorry about that, my throat, um, quit his day job in finance to open his own bar in New York City, West Village. Partnering with graffiti artist Andre Savaria, which is, he's a fucking legend, he's the guy that does those stick figures and whatnot, and DJ Paul Savengi, who might be Chloe Savengi's brother, not too sure, to take over the Beatrice Inn, a former Italian restaurant in the rundown basement that they transform into a clubhouse for their friends. The Beatrice, as it became known to its designs, drew an eclectic mix of young artists, actors, musicians and models. The quote, it was our land of misfit toys. Um, with his instructable gatekeeper, Angelino Bianchi, man in the door, it soon became a hot blight, a hot bite on New York and raging into a wee hours most nights of the week. By the way, I've heard, right, there's restaurants in New York or restaurants in LA, cool ones that put stickers on your phone on your phone cameras like they do in Bergheim. That's something that I know about nightclubs. Going to many nightclubs, everyone kind of copies the, you know, the premise of like Bergheim and maybe other clubs in the 70s and 80s that especially didn't like people taking pictures on the inside, right? Wanted people's privacy to be respected, wanted it to be like a labyrinth and a playhouse for adults to have fun and to not feel like they're being watched and to kind of express themselves, especially if it comes to, you know, the kind of genesis of that whole scene of it being a safe space for the LGBTQ queer gay community. So you don't want people to see you because maybe you're not comfortable of coming out and blah, 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 blah. So the adage and the idea and the notion of having a someone put a sticker over your camera lens when you go to a nightclub and telling you hey for once disconnect enjoy i get it but if you dare to stick a fucking sticker on my camera lens in a restaurant so i can't take a fucking picture like this of my burger i'm gonna throw a fit i'm not having it i'm not fucking having it personally i'm really fucking not having it anyway it continues in April 2009, the Beatrice Inn was padlocked by the city by the Department of Building, citing overcrowding and an inadequate means of egress. Ab Abrimic had tackled noise complaints by soundproofing neighboring apartments, but his mitigation efforts weren't enough. Imagine having a restaurant where you're getting noise complaints. That's fucking a great, um, a great endorsement of what you're doing. But look at that. Look at that bar. This is the Wallace Room. Look at how great that looks. Woo hoo hoo. The Beatrice Space eventually became a clubby restaurant under Chef Angie Ma, though it closed its doors in 2020. Um, Abri, Abri Mick, meanwhile, 
went on to build a small collection of bars and restaurants further downtown in Tribeca, including Tiny's, Smith's and Mills, and a sports bar called Warren Double Seven. Um, he opened with hockey star Sean Avery, but he always retained a soft spot for the West Village where his career in hospitality began. People keep telling me, or I keep reading, that the restaurant industry is really hard to crack. Restaurants are really hard to crack. It's really hard business to make work. But for some reason, restaurateurs exist. For some reason, these guys and girls who have one, two, three, four, five popping clubs under their fucking tutelage exist. So what's the deal? Are they hard to make work? Or is it if you know, you know, if you get it, you get it. If you work it, you work it. Because I've seen guys and girls who have legitimately a whole slew of restaurants all across fucking town that they operate. So if that's the case and they don't make money, then why why are they doing those things for? I don't buy this. Maybe it's cutthroat. Maybe if it's not good and it doesn't connect with people, you can suffer quite quickly. But also if it's successful, people are going to love it and you're going to be able to make even more and be able to have the access of fucking, you know, venture capital to come in and invest and allow you to build up more because these guys clearly know what they're doing. Look at that. Oof, the exterior of the console looks amazing. This month, Abrimic 44 returned to the neighborhood as a new steward of the Spotted Pig restaurant space, a fixture in the area since 2004. Um, I think the Spotted Pig is the same place that guy from Horses used to be a chef at, I think so. After purchasing the more than century old building from Jay Z's um, SCC Greenwich Re- Re- Reality, Re- Re- Reality, he says it. Um, his new venture there, the Golden Swan, which anticipated to open in May 24th, is named after the infamous West Village Saloon, fondly known as the Hell Hole, once frequented by playwright Eugene O'Neill and the motley crew of the early 20th century drunks. It was demolished in 1928 to make way for the 6th Avenue subway. My dream has always been to have like a dive bar, a really crazy, amazing, eclectic, cool dive bar to hang in on. But I guess if you can marry the both, if you're able to have a really delectable, delightful, small menu and also have one of the best bars in the world, you can kind of crush it on both levels. You can be the place where people can come to pre-drink and the place where people can come to have their engagement dinner. It makes complete sense. It continues. With the gut renovation... Abrimic um, hopes to banish the ghost of the Spotted Pig, New York's original gastropub, which shut down in 2020. Partner Ken Friedman and the Spotted Pig sell the harassment claims by 11 former employees. Russian, which is crazy. With the New York State Attorney General's office for 240000 Chef April Bloomfield, who left the Spotted Pig in 2018, is working on a new restaurant in Brooklyn with restaurateur Gabriel Stoltman who I also recognize the name of as well. Um, it continues here. Abramuck has erased all vestiges of the building's last tenant, laying down the reclaimed barn wood floors and a black-green Moroccan tile on the walls and removing the Calasio pig, um, the Bele- the the Beville establishment and um, features the Wallace room, a casual cocktail lounge on the ground floor and a more elevated dining room. Abramick hopes the second floor dining room will place, uh, will be a place where people will know you. He says, and hopefully you'll have a regular table. We're trying to create a clubhouse without being a membership club, which is probably the best way because I feel like some of our best bars and nightclubs here are legitimately um the ones in members clubs but also who wants to go to a members club right that's a little bit lame um paying a membership to go and drink alcohol somewhere is the antithesis to me of lame so have the ability to go to a cool restaurant be able to be fed correctly is probably the best way to go about things personally but again what do i know Look at the interior there. Oh, looks fucking beautiful. The Golden Swan is a throwback, it says here, to the early aughts when clubby bars and restaurants dominate the night, the downtown city in New York. Lately, 
Across lower Manhattan, nightlife veterans who ran in the same circles back then have opened new spots that channel that insider era, tapping into the nostalgia of recent past that infuses fashion and music. Before this year's Met Gala, Gucci hosted a Bungalow 8 pop-up, reviving Amy Sokoko's celebrity-packed Chelsea nightclub, which closed in 2009 for a night. The new spots reference a time when Gen Z patrons were far too young to drink. Back then, when first iPhones appeared, before Instagram, online reservations, and when access wasn't always about how much you could spend, but who you actually knew. Exactly. And that was the best time, I think, in the flash photography era. Right? That's the time that I'm thinking of where spots will be extremely gatekeeping, which would be extremely gatekept by the people that were kind of going to them because they didn't want them to get too bait. It continues here. Before Matt... Klingham 40 and Carlos Quareta 47 partners of the Authentic Hospitality Group opened their down, own downtown bars and restaurants. They often partied together at the Beatrice, crowding into the all-out debaucherous back room of the Quareta describes it. That is when they weren't throwing their own rumptuous parties at the Bowery Hotel. Their annual Halloween bash drew thousands eventually and its own corporate sponsors. That's a really good, really good final, isn't it? to be like a club promoter to owning your own club then becoming a restaurateur that might be in my future because for now my long-term plan is to open my own nightclub for now my long-term plan is to have my own nightclub one of the best little 250 to 500 cap nightclub that's my ultimate goal and obviously book myself every weekend but just operate a really cool nightclub and also have it to be a little bit more fun and joyous more of a housey disco vibe as opposed to the gloomy new rock dr martin's all black techno shit that we have going on that's my long-term plan but who knows maybe sometime down the line I open a restaurant maybe it's zingers maybe it's zingers burgers zingers pizzas right where a big black guy cooks you fucking pizza <laughs> the east london way <laughs> What's people saying in the chat? Uche is saying, me personally, I take a nice ass restaurant over a crowded club any day. Yeah, and I think Uche, I think you are definitely the majority. I think so. Because I see way more restaurants opening up these days than nightclubs. Don't get me wrong. Nightclubs have a lot more regulation around it. There's a lot more issues with noise pollution and police and blah, blah, blah. I know that. But I see way more restaurants opening up all the time. Even the ones that fail. They fail. They open up another one. They fail again. Open another one. There's always a chance to open, 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 open. Because people more than often, I feel like, especially adults, especially people between the ages of like 25 and 45, would probably much rather go to a restaurant, have a bang-ass meal, have some great cocktails, mocktails, great ambience, maybe some good music playing there, maybe a couple cute guys and girls working that you can have some eye candy at to watch at, chat to, shoot the shit with and go home as opposed to being in a club like I am, bungled over some table sharing a key, you know, of whatever crap that you bought on the dark web. I particularly do think that. So I definitely think that more people want to do that than that, to be honest. Look at that salad there on top. It said in 2009, Kellingham worked with the finance group JP Morgan and Quirat, um, who worked with the fashion in the, in the Eastern Zone and leveraged the reputation at the party host to launch their two first ventures. Imagine being a host of parties and also being able to use that to leverage to build restaurants up. Amazing. The Smile in All Day Cafe on Bond Street, that's a great name for actual cafe, to be honest, followed a few minutes later by The Ballroom, their nightclub in the Jane Hotel in the West Village, transforming the ballroom of a former single-room occupancy hotel into a sort of overgrown living room. The quote, 
We wanted it to feel like you broke into your friend's house through a party without permission and his parents are going to be super pissed. That's a great way to describe a restaurant, isn't it? That's a great bit of copy and PR there. I wonder how much I had to pay for that. That's a good fucking byline. We wanted it to feel like you broke into your friend's house through a party without permission and his parents are going to be super pissed. I love that. It continues. The ballroom at the Jane picked up where the Beatrice left off and drawing the same clientele for a while. They even had a Bianchi outside manning the fucking velvet rope. It continues. The Jane Hotel, which was sold to the Impresario, sorry, Impresario Jeff Klein in December, will soon house the San Vicente West Village, an offshoot of the San Vicente bungalows. I think that's a place where they cover your phone. Um, his private members club from West Hollywood with a film industry following. Quaret and Klingman shuttered the smile this past summer, reopening the space in February with a third partner, Matt Charles, 37, at Jackson Bond Street, named after Jack Chapelman, a beloved neighborhood figure who so-called the mayor of Bond Street, who lived in the building for decades. And again, look, they've got pool, pool tables there and shit, so cool. The last cocktail bar, which launched um, during New York Fashion Week and hosted parties um, by Rodate and uh, features small plates from the Jeremiah Stone, Fabian von Horsk Valetra and chef team behind the Wild Fair and the Contra and the 90s tonality, as designer Christine Gorsh describes the Earth Tones Decor. The beige pool table towards the back of the room is reminiscent of a kind of sexy time. The smug, the snug lounge for private events opened in the subterranean wine cellar. The quote here saying, I'm anticipating that it will be more debaucherous and maybe it will have to be because you're going to lower closer to hell. So they're kind of encouraging guys to have adult fun. They're encouraging people to go under the table and take something in their nostrils or their mouths, but also sit down and eat and have a good time. I fucking love that. So big up there says John Nidich, 41, um, the Impresario behind a string of New York hotspots started going out in downtown in the early 2000s when he was still a freshman at Brown University, take, talking his way into Bungalow 8 before he was could legally drink. I got in one night, kind of luckily, and at the end of the night, talked, ended up making friends with one of the bouncers, he says. While living in the city after graduation, pursuing an acting career, he made the, the Beatrice his usual haunt. Going from acting to restaurateurs is a pretty good pivot. I'm not going to lie. I went there every night for the first few months. I was like, you need to go, show up and become a regular. The dance floor was always packed and always sweaty and you could smoke and you could drink and you could basically do whatever you want. And I have to admit, my most funnest time, especially when I was young, was the time when I was fucking out in Dawson all the time, in Shoreditch all the time, specifically this one club called The Alibi. I fucking lived there, you know, Thursday through to Sunday. And it was kind of cool and kind of nice to have that be a part of your identity, being a regular at a fucking bar and hanging out. It would have been a little bit better if they had like little nibbles and snacks that they sold, but I think there's some weird laws around alcohol and having food. You probably have to have another license, but that's something that we don't really have well in most bars. There's not a lot of good bars that have good finger foods. If you have a bar that sells alcohol, you just have to have a full menu for you to sell food. You can't have it in between. I think so. That's what I, I see. But I did enjoy the aspect of being a regular, of pulling up, um, seeing regular bartenders, knowing what you like to drink drink regular people that hang out there people that sit in a particular seat people that are in a particular area that was all part of the fun of going to those kind of clubs and bars and spaces and i wish i could do that more often but i don't go to bars as much as as i used to because i replaced them with nightclubs but now that i am changing my ways maybe the restaurant and bar scene is something that could replace it adult fun 
After the beach was closed, Nidris talked to one of his owners about bringing it back. Look at the interior of this place, the nines. Ooh, decadent and amazing, isn't it? Um, I like that all nightclubs, or sorry, all bars and restaurants have this kind of 90s, 20s, 30s decor, as opposed to looking incredibly modern. You don't really get that. I feel like the modern minimalist bars and restaurants, they kind of feel a little bit cold. They don't feel very welcoming and homely. I wonder what it's about that era, 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, that makes people feel instantly at home, especially when most of the people in those places were never born around then. Don't probably have any relatives that were still alive from that era either. But for some reason, we connect way more with that decor than we do with the modern, stark, metal, steel, concrete, exposed brick type of style type of shit. Not sure what that is about. It continues. In 2012, Niedic opened his own lounge in the basement below Acme, a restaurant in NoHo that served a new Nordic cuisine. Abimek's younger brother, Jack, a former bartender at the Beatrice, became the resident DJ. Of course, the fucking bartender to DJ funnel is always existing. The Beatrice was such a strong influence. The music specifically says Niedic, I think we were able to create one of those last generals of places where it was safe to be wild. Love that dancing on tables right doing bumps at the fucking dinner table you know swigging your cocktail shouting screaming singing along to the tracks singing along to some smith songs that comes on again love it uh what's up we just saying in the chat there's a really nice place in Cle- oh yeah zingers beef patties is hilarious in cleveland that used to be a speakeasy in the prohibition era another place who used to be a bank and seats people in a huge vault yeah i love shit like that speakeasy era crazy and intimate yeah for sure maybe that's a good point maybe that's what it harkens back to a time where we were all crazy, a time when people went for it, were a bit wild and nuts, and people want to recover that. Maybe. It continues here. The basement lounge is still open, but these days the real buzz is upstairs in the former Acne restaurant space, now a crystal lit and velvet curtain lounge with a piano, music, and a caviar topped baked potatoes that needed opened earlier last year. It's funny, right? This entire article has everything about the ambience, about the decor, about the vibe they're trying to recreate this restaurant scene. And then it gets right to the end. And then all the pictures also, you know, they've got cool guys standing in front of a bar, um, cool, cool pool table, amazing interior design, amazing furnishing. And it only gets to the bottom, maybe the 10th paragraph down, you finally get pictures of the food. <laughs> it goes to show maybe restaurants, uh, you know, utility nowadays is the coolness factor. The food is secondary. As long as your food's like a five out of 10, maybe even less, people are okay with it. They just want the cool factor more. Anyway, it continues here. Um, with a table hopping regulars, the uh, the place it conjures a time when New York was less of a tether to the electronic devices, back when we weren't in a constant communication to let people know where you're going. You just all you just all went to the same place and knew you were going to see each other. You see a play of fruit there. Uh, it says, um, what does it say here? Aisha Shelley of 14 Native caught the very beginning of the scene, emerging down just before 9-11, when he spent a few months living in New York with his older brother Noah, who worked in fashion. There was a bunch of kids moving in here who wanting to make a mark on New York, and my brother was one of them. Though he only returned to New York full-time in 2009, arriving just before the Beatrice closed, he wound up eventually working for Abramick as a as his short-lived Soho restaurant, Navy. Like, look at that bar. Oh, that looks beautiful. Casino's lower-level bar. Look at this exposed steel at the bar counter. These great um, chairs. I also love the fact that most bars, they don't have them a lot here in London for some reason, but I think the addition of having little hangers 
where you can hang your coat and bags underneath the bar counter is always a great place and also having enough room behind you that the servers can walk around and people and you don't feel like you have to kind of be right up against the bar with your knees kind of scraping against it a good place to kind of rest your feet and shit chat chat whatever get a look at the land mirrored um, walls behind the cocktail so you can see behind you and it gives you a bit of a feeling of space um, look at the the addition of these lights on the wall and decorations add some warmth to it especially because it looks a little bit dark and there's not much natural light coming in there that's a really clever use of space there i love that little room there for sure and again look at the people involved in restaurants right you always got these fucking you always trust a guy that's covered in tattoos and with a big beard what works in restaurants usually they're gonna fucking do you right fat dudes covered in tattoos with beards are never gonna disappoint you when it comes to a restaurant um maybe you have to you have to maybe not trust somebody that's a super skinny mini it continues just says in 2015 shelly and his other friends launched their own downtown clubhouse mr fongs on the edge of chinatown that sounds a little bit like cultural appropriation three white guys launching a restaurant called mr fongs in chinatown sounds a bit crazy it continues the fashion following that began at the bar has continued as his own costal italian french restaurant casino which opened last december a few blocks away with its moodish design and there's some um, crowd of table hopping regulars and the vibe of a dining room harks back Shelley says to new york when he first came i want the new york that i remember when i was 19 whatever magic that was we're all just trying to recreate it in our own way that sounds kind of sad but it also makes a lot of sense because this vibe definitely gives it kind of feeling of somebody that's kind of coming in bleary-eyed wide-eyed for the first time in new york and seeing what the hell is going on there so i definitely do understand that anyway the article is hella long I'm not going to read the entire thing i think it's actually finished isn't it? by the time i finish here is it yeah but there's many, many pieces here. This interior here of the Mulberry with this kind of Picasso-esque illustration and drawing um, over on the walls looks fucking beautiful, to be fair. I do love that bit of artwork. It looks like there's some lights behind it or underneath it that kind of make it glow. That's an incredible way to kind of use space. So that looks really beautiful. But overall, I'm liking it. And now I'm kind of convinced about the idea that restaurants utility for the most part, especially in modern culture, are mostly the coolness factor and the food is secondary. Because more than likely, if the food isn't a 5 out of 10, no one's going to come anyway. So why not add an extra bit of panache to it by having it be cool so people can come and communicate and kind of feel like it's a clubhouse, feel like they want to be seen there just for the sake of it. That kind of can increase your longevity and turn it into a whole entire different place and its function that it serves within your local scene but again what do i know what do i know the article itself is titled what restaurants in manhattan are uh, the, why restaurants in manhattan sorry are the new nightclubs it's available from the wall street journal and the link will be also available in the description if you want to check it out anyway that is it from me right now for the moment. That has been episode number 677 of the Exynos Zynga Show. If you've enjoyed watching it, um, please make sure that you're smashing the like button if you're watching the live stream. If you're listening to this after the fact on the podcast, app, please make sure that you share it wherever you can. Leave me a five-star review on the platforms that you can leave five-star reviews. That would be greatly appreciated as per usual. If not, enjoy it anyway appreciate the support appreciate the viewership and i'll check you guys out again very very soon if you're listening via the audio side of the platform you shall be hearing my tune of the day today you shall be hearing my tune of the day today so if you want to listen to the tune of the day jump over to the podcast side of the platform listen to the audio version and tune in but for now take care be safe peace Turn on the light. Tell I've been living
Turn on the light.